Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. Today's program is brought to you by BioTill Cover Crops. BioTill Cover Crops provide innovative solutions to growing problems with a complete line of cover crops engineered to scavenge nutrients, improve water infiltration, stop erosion, rejuvenate soils, improve your bottom line, and keep you profitable. Call 541-928-0102 today for one-on-one local consultations and recommendations. Today, I'd like to introduce Colin Walden, a rangeland management specialist with NRCS who's based in Oklahoma. Colin will be discussing grazing management for soil health benefits. Welcome to the podcast, Colin. Hi, Sarah. Glad to be on. So to get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm a native Okie, born and raised, came to college at, uh, I grew up in the southern part of the state, came up to Stillwater, Oklahoma State University, uh, got a degree in uh, natural resource management, focused on, on rangelands, and uh, been working for the USDA uh, NRCS for uh, a little over 10 years now. Uh, I worked in uh, county field offices in the eastern part and the western part of the state, and a few years back, I transitioned to the uh, soil survey side of things. So we're working a little bit more behind the scenes on the, the technical reports, uh, dealing with plant and soil interactions. It's been a really interesting job. And so that's, I'm still uh, still working on the, the soil survey staff out of the Stillwater, Oklahoma Soil Survey Office. Great. So let's go ahead and, and jump right to our topic here. Talk a little bit about the primary soil health benefits of managed grazing? So when I speak on soil health to people uh, here in Oklahoma, we kind of have a, a cadre of people and we, we do uh, some outreach events. Uh, unfortunately, we've had to do mostly over Zoom the last year, but uh, hopefully get back into the field this this year. Uh, but I always, uh, I let the soil scientists talk a little bit and then I, I jump in and say, look, we're, we're really looking at ecosystem health um, because it, it's plants, it's soils, it's the interaction. And, and so primarily uh, in the, this part of the country or in agriculture in general, we're, we're grazing uh, cattle on grasslands or cropland. And uh, it's the management uh, of the grazing of the cattle. Uh, that's what we can really control. So that's where we have to uh, focus on timing of grazing, what we're going to grazing, the, the type of animal we're grazing, and how we're managing that ecosystem. Okay. And then how do you see cover crops fitting as a part of that ecosystem and managed grazing program? So, so it's, uh, it's really, uh, I'm a, a, you know, a traditionally a, a range and pasture type specialist, but uh, to see the cover crops um, uh, being grazed now is, is exciting, both uh, it, it adds some flexibility to a system um, where you have traditional uh, perennial pastures or native rangeland that you're, you're grazing. Um, now you have uh, the additional grazing resource of cover crops. So it adds, again, both some grazable acres to an operation, but it also adds flexibility, which is key in any operation is having uh, a degree of flexibility where you can add add some cows to the herd or retain some ownership of some calves and, and put them on your cover crops. And there's just a lot more options. Now that more people are grazing, um, grazing cover crops, 
and we're realizing the actual the the benefits, both soil health uh, and the economic benefits of it. Uh, I think it's great uh, that they're being grazed now. All right. So, what soil health practices can help improve forages for the purpose of grazing, including talking about cover crops? So. Uh, Again, in, in any grazing system, um, we, we have to know, uh, number one, you know, what we're grazing, uh, the, the growth uh, stages that we're, we're grazing it at. Um, and so particular uh, practices is we really want to focus on the, the timing, you know, how long we're grazing, um, what, again, growth stage the, the forage species are that we are grazing, and then how long we stay on it, you know, uh, our minimum grazing heights, things like that. Uh, and then really one of the biggest things um, that I try to focus on when I talk to people is having some diversity of species, okay? I always say, again, when, when I talk about soil health or ecosystem health, that, that uh, native rangelands invented soil health, right? Uh, when we talk about um, the principles of soil health and we're really trying to mimic uh, a native grassland in, in all the things we do. So if we think about the native prairies there was a diversity of species uh, all the things weren't growing at the same time and maturing at the same time we had forbs where we had legumes and we had grasses so um, incorporating some kind of diversity into your uh, into your pastures into your if you're planting a cover crop uh, that's one of the most important things we can do I think uh, to really improve uh, both the grazeability and the uh, the soil health benefits okay and this maybe is a little bit of a different type of approach to this, but um, how can feeding the microorganisms in the soil benefit overall soil health and thus also benefiting cover crops and other forages that might be grown? Yeah, so it's amazing what we don't even understand yet as far as the, the microorganisms in the soil, uh, but we've come a long ways uh, with the research and what um, the scientists are, are learning about the uh, relationships between uh, roots and these microorganisms and even uh, the different species and, and different uh, microorganisms that are unique to certain species or at least families um, of these forages. So it's really, uh, it's vital uh, if you want a healthy above ground biomass that you have, have your soil health below ground, correct? So, um, you know, they say a, a, a healthy plant makes a healthy soil and, and vice versa. So um, it's, it's really, uh, while we tend to deal with things that we can look at and measure and, and see on the surface, uh, we really need to, to uh, keep in mind what's going on underneath the ground because it's instrumental to what we do above ground. Okay. What should a successful rotational grazing program look like? You've mentioned several times about the type of livestock that you're grazing and um, how often they're moved, but when all those pieces are put together properly, what would that look like? So it, uh, you, you'll love the, the typical answer, it depends. Um, but the, the big things, and this is where, you know, I, I try to talk in, in more general terms because uh, there is multiple ways uh, to, to have a successful grazing operation. Uh, but the main thing is that you have, it's really in the management, okay? So by management, I mean you have a clear objective, 
you have a plan, you're monitoring what's going on. So you're looking at your paddocks, your pastures, et cetera. Is it time to move? Can we stay a little longer and taking good notes? You know, you've got records to compare, things like that. Uh, another big part is flexibility. So being able to adapt, uh, nothing in, in nature is, is static, right? So it's, it's a, a very dynamic system and, and that we have to be flexible with in our operation, uh, whether it's a, an, and go back to your rotational grazing uh, question. There's some stigma with uh, this particular grazing system is best, you know, whether it's, and I think we'll probably touch on it later, whether it's mob grazing, whether it's cell grazing, um, whether it's a, a strip graze, uh, there's a lot of different tools in the toolbox, but what matters is the level of management that we, um, that we take on uh, in the system. So uh, a successful rotational grazing program would be one that doesn't degrade the resource, accomplishes our objectives, and is the best, say, conservation-minded as far as uh, whether we're building soil health and monitoring uh, our animal condition, things like that. So that's what really makes the program successful. That's how it measures success. Makes sense. So talk a little bit about in some of those successful rotational grazing systems, how long would a rest period be for each paddock? So uh, a lot of that's going to depend on on what you're grazing, uh, you know, and whether it's a you're going into a dormant season, whether it's a, an active growing, you know, in the spring, if you're in a warm season uh, forage, uh, typically the, the faster, the, the more rapid growth on a forage, you're going to be moving faster um, through, through the cells. You know, it could be 30 day rest. It could be uh, 90 days. It, it could be, uh, you know, if you're in a super high stock density, there's people that, that will graze a, a cell paddock, et cetera, and maybe not even come back uh, that year. Uh, again, if you're in a, a, a dormant season, uh, then the rest period's not, uh, it, it's not as important because obviously the, the plant's not in active growth. Um, you know, and you, there's an old adage on dormant season grazing, you, you can't kill a dead man, right? But from a soil health perspective, we always have to keep in mind uh, what kind of residue uh, we have and, and what our objectives are. So again, it's, it, it, it depends, but it's one of those things that uh, as an active manager, you will learn on the ground on your particular farm uh, as you start moving. Okay. So then how does adequate rest periods then affect soil compaction and and the soil health and microbiology. Yeah, so it, <laughs> I hate to say the D word, it depends. It depends on your soils, you know, what type of soils you have, what region, I'm sure, of the country you're in. Um, what we found is, is typically soil compaction from a grazing event is not as, uh, as big of an issue as I know was once thought and taught, uh, especially if you have you know, if it's in a cropland situation where you have cover crops you're grazing, um, if you're letting your plants uh, and your plant roots amend the, amend the soil compaction that's there from the past, cultivation, et cetera, you know, you're increasing uh, your soil aggregation, things like that, then usually the, the compaction is, is not, is, it will be remediated in a short amount of time by the actively growing plants. You know, there, there might be some situations 
again, with uh, certain soils, certain areas of the country where it's, it's really wet and uh, it could cause some issues, but typically they're short, short term, uh, especially compared to our traditional compaction issues and conventional tillage and plow pans and that kind of thing. So to get back on your question, uh, the, you know, the rest periods is going to allow for plant growth, root growth, and uh, it can help uh, with soil aggregation, which would mitigate uh, most of the compaction issues. Okay. Does allowing a longer resting period, so you mentioned earlier that some growers in a very intensive situation might only graze a paddock once a year. Does allowing those longer rest periods result in better plant recovery and then also deeper plant roots, which can help with that soil aggregation? Uh, yeah, really, you know, if you think about, um, you know, when we're, we're grazing, we're removing the, the photosynthetic tissue of the plant. So uh, as it grows back, it can uh, uh, grow taller and grow a deeper root, et cetera. Uh, you know, one of the things you get into is some of the crops uh, uh, or grasses, we try to keep them in, a, uh, in the vegetative growth stage, uh, both for forage quality and and sometimes uh, the plants will use a little bit more water when they're maturing and flowering things like that so you know there's some some things again we need to, to look at uh, what particular uh, species of, of forages uh, and plants that we're grazing but yeah in in, in a broad generalization uh, you know a good rest period to allow that plant to do its job uh, in the soil uh, would, would definitely be better um, and one of the things um, that, again, at the start of this, uh, you know, our, our talk here, I, I talked about how I was excited about cover crops being grazed. One of the things that I always like to caution people about is we have to remember, and this also plays into my management, you know, uh, and uh, clear objectives and plans and things like that, is if we're trying to uh, build soil organic matter, increase our soil health, then our grazing is a tool, uh, you know, we, we're going to put some pounds on some beef and, and help cycle nutrients, et cetera, right? Um, but we don't want to take too much. Uh, we don't want to do so much that uh, we're losing the benefits uh, of, of soil health that our cover crops or our uh, whatever forage we have uh, is, is planted for. So, um, again, there's, there's a lot of moving parts and pieces, but if we can just kind of wrap our mind around how the the system works, the ecosystem, both in the soil and above ground works, then, um, then we definitely, uh, we, we can adjust as needed uh, in our management system. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor. BioTill cover crops provide innovative solutions to growing problems with a complete line of cover crops engineered to scavenge nutrients, improve water infiltration, stop erosion, rejuvenate soils, improve your bottom line, and keep you profitable. Call 541-928-0102 today for one-on-one -on -one local cons consultations and recommendations. And now back to the podcast. So talk a little bit about the difference between a traditional rotational grazing which I think is what most people think of when they think of grazing cover crops. But um, what's the difference between rotational grazing and 
mob grazing, which is something that, um, you know, maybe growers might not be as familiar with. So in traditional rotational grazing, you're, you're, you're going to graze for a, a, a set amount of time with a you know, certain amount of animals and you'll, you'll move, uh, move through a series of pastures, paddocks, uh, cells, et cetera. And, uh, and typically we'll come back to that same piece of ground after a rest period. Um, and with mob grazing, uh, you're going to have a, a extremely high amount of stock density. So a, a large amount of pounds of beef or, you know, or animals, uh, depending on, you can use multiple, you know, size class of animals, calves, uh, cows, et cetera, but you're going to have, uh, a large amount, uh, of cows in a very small amount of area for a short amount of time. And so it's fairly high intensity, uh, or it's, I guess, very high intensity and, and, uh, you're going to be moving maybe within a set amount of hours, if not, uh, maybe a day and you're going to get a lot of trampling. Um, and you know, it's, it's one of those things in certain situations, I feel like, like it can be used as targeted grazing to accomplish certain objectives um, in other systems or other situations, a more traditional type of uh, rotation uh, might be more uh, suited uh, to, to accomplish the objectives. Um, and again, when we look at a, a grazing system, you know, whether it's a, a, a 12 cell rotational grazing or a, a mob grazing situation, um, they can both even accomplish the same objectives and, uh, in the, the agriculture and grazing circles, sometimes you get people that, uh, again, uh, there's a little bit of back and forth on this place, this way is the best, this way is the best, right? I think sometimes we get down that road, you can alienate groups and, and disenfranchise people that are all trying to accomplish the same thing. Um, and so, uh, people can get pretty passionate about it, which is good to be passionate about what you do. But again, to, to single in on, on one or the other, uh, you know, I think they can both, uh, both accomplish objectives and it all just depends on, uh, what you what you would like your inputs to be in the operation, uh, and, and what you're trying to accomplish. But basically mob grazing is a, is a ton of hooves in a small amount or a small area for a very short amount of time. Okay, great. So kind of switching gears here a little bit, would interseeding cover crops into a pasture intended for grazing, is that a practice that uh, growers should consider? I think it's a definite uh, consideration um, in a, say, monoculture. Uh, you know, a lot of this is uh, Bermuda grass country. So in, in tame pasture, introduced pasture, uh, that tends to be, again, a monoculture of one species. I think interseeding, especially some type of legume, uh, some other species in there is a, is a great idea. Uh, whether or not they add to your uh, pounds of forage as much, uh, you know, actual biomass, they're contributing a ton below ground. And like we've hit on, you know, diversity is key um, with variable climate, variable precip, things like that. Um, and, and then, of course, with additional legumes, um, maybe trying to wean off of uh, traditional fertilization programs as well. Uh, so, yeah, I think interseeding is an excellent idea. Sometimes there are uh, limita limitations. It can be difficult to get things established in those monocultures. But uh, going over to uh, if you have uh, 
native pastures, typically uh, it's not, uh, you can do more management with them without having to try to intercede. Uh, so it's a little different animal. Uh, sometimes you can just uh, change some management and, and you'll have the diversity in those native uh, native pastures. So I, don't, I wouldn't uh, jump out there and say that interceding on, on native pasture would be ideal. Okay. So of course we're, we're talking about grazing, but for cover crops, are there other best practices or other methods for harvesting forages for livestock uh, that can also be just as effective as grazing? So there could be, uh, you know, a lot of people do some kind of green top haylage, uh, you know, of course, uh, there's traditional haying, but uh, what what sets grazing apart, of course, is the is the cycling of nutrients. Uh, you know, you're you're converting the energy into beef, uh, but there's the, the cows are still leaving plenty behind. Um, and, and so, my only issue uh, with uh, if you're if you're harvesting it some other way, not to say that you can't get it done but you are uh, just like in a hay pasture, you're mining nutrients. Okay. You're, you're typically um, rolling something up or, uh, and you're taking it off site. So um, again, it's not to say you can't accomplish an objective, but I think it's probably uh, more efficiently done uh, through a cow or through a grazing animal. And again, if you are going to do uh, some kind of uh, other harvesting method, we have to keep in mind, you know, on a cover crop situation, are, are we still accomplishing our uh, soil health objectives? Uh, even if we're taking some of it off, uh, do we still have that living root and the soil cover and everything uh, that we set out to do in the beginning? So, um, so to answer your question, I think, <laughs> of course I do, right? I'm a, a, a range of pasture guy, but I think grazing is the best. Uh, but uh, there are some other options. We just you just have to really again understand the system and think about uh, think about what you're doing uh, under the ground as well. Sure. So, kind of getting at that under the ground and and what's happening below the soil surface. We've talked a little bit about rotational grazing, interseeding, and now harvesting forages. How do all of those different things impact the soil biology? If we if we go if we approach it. Uh, with a, the mindset that there is the ecosystem both above and below the soil surface, then um, there's so much that goes on, again, between plants. Obviously, the, the nitrogen-fixing legumes, um, but there's so many microorganisms that depend on the, the root exudates of the, the different plants and, and can also help harvest nutrients and, and build the aggregate stability, of course, and then you, you get more water holding capacity and it, it really, it, it helps, uh, of course, the soil, but also helps you, you grow more forage as well. So it is very important that we uh, keep in mind um, what's going on under the ground and, and keep feeding the biology um, so it can feed the plants. Okay. So in a, either a, a rotational grazing setup or even like a mob grazing scenario, what might be some visual indicators that uh, perhaps growers can look for that, that tell them 
cover crops in a pasture have been overgrazed? Um, so really, uh, you know, if we look at, uh, uh, of course, again, it depends on the, what the forage is and, and the timing, you know, there, there's some set, uh, it, it's easy to go out and measure uh, residual height and, and know uh, when to move. One of the, the biggest things is if you start to see bare ground, uh, you know, of course, that's, that's not accomplishing our soil health uh, goals there. Um, you know, if, you, if you're in a uh, pasture that, that has more perennial cover, you know, maybe it's not straight cropland that you planted these, these forages into, uh, there's some indicator species uh, that we might look for uh, that an area is getting a little bit degraded. In uh, and, and areas that uh, are maybe ponding water, you know, our infiltration is not looking very good. You know, those are things it's almost a little too late to tell, you know, or too late to move cows in. Um, but really, it's just uh, keeping an eye on on our the the cover uh, and and the height the forage that we're grazing. Um, that's really the best thing that we can keep an eye on, and that's that's what I always tell people: get out of the truck, uh, walk out, and and look and see what's really going on. And and again, every year is different weather wise. Uh, every year is different, or every every pasture is going to be a little different, a little different soils and. Uh, so that's why we really get to, you need to get to know your place, uh, your pastures, your paddocks, your uh, area that you're, you're grazing and, and you'll start to learn uh, when, when, when your moves need to occur, et cetera. So. Very good. We've alluded to this multiple times during our conversation, but talk specifically about how the pasture health and the, the forage health and soil health are interdependent on each yeah. other. So again, that's where we like to rib the, the soil scientist guys and say, Hey, you know, it takes a healthy plant to, to make a healthy soil. And, and uh, of course, you know, they, they give it right back to us, but um, it, it really does make, uh, it feeds both ways. Uh, you know, if you take care of your above ground biomass, it, it should help take care of below ground. Uh, you know, when we have uh, more water holding capacity and soil organic matter, better infiltration, we're going to have better uh, stand of grass or, or forages, right? But if we have a adequate cover and and diversity of forages above ground, they can lead to better infiltration uh, as well, which can help feed the soil biology. So uh, there's the constant root turnover uh, underneath the ground that, that they depend on the plants. And the plants depend on them, so it's really uh, the the rhizosphere is a pretty neat place uh, because there's so much going on, and uh, something that uh, we've taken for granted as a civilization for uh, quite a few years now. Um, but but again, uh, healthy soils, uh, you can have a better stand of above ground biomass. You can have uh, fewer pest problems as well. Uh, it really they just play in, into each other hand in hand. Okay. Um, so I'm sure you're probably familiar with maybe what some climatologists have been saying that right now, large portions of the United States are actually suffering drought conditions. Talk a little bit about how soil health and building up soil health helps improve drought resistance in that soil. Yeah, so a, a big one is uh, increasing your water holding capacity. You know, we're only given a certain amount of rainfall a year, uh, and it, even regardless of the timing of it, if we can get it 
uh, get it below ground, then we've got a chance uh, to use it. Um, you know, and even even beyond that is is aquifer recharge and all that. It, uh, it's it's really about uh, improving uh, our aggregate stability and our water holding capacity, infiltration. Um, you know, less runoff. You know, I, you hate to say it. Um, you know, there's some places you you look and um, maybe the soil health isn't great, but all their ponds are full. Uh, you know, but uh, really. Uh, we'd rather have most of that water uh, in the ground if we could. Uh, another another thing is the diversity. Uh, again, whether you're planting uh, planting cover crops to uh, to graze, or if you have a pasture that you're going to try to interseed some diversity into, um, you know the diversity of plants is important, um, and and also the microorganisms that are associated with them below ground. Uh, so. Just like in any operation, uh, and the more diversity you have, you kind of hedge a little bit of risk, whether it turns off dry or whether um, the markets are not quite what you want. If you have some diversity, then you have a lot more flexibility. And so it's the same way in these ecosystems is the more diversity you have, uh, the more resilient they are. Great. So Colin, where can our listeners go for more information about grazing management and the impact on soil health? So the, uh, there's more and more and more every day uh, of places to go or things to, to read. But, you know, if you're a producer in a county, uh, we have a local USDA service center in every county, whether it's a natural resource conservation service, we've got people that uh, our field staff are, are very proficient uh, in these type of things, but they also have a direct line to somebody that's, you know, if there's a state soil health specialist, um, you know, they can get a hold of as well, uh, state or, or watershed conservation districts. Um, there's, uh, obviously on, on the public side, there's a ton of, of, of people in, in universities that are, uh, really ramping up their outreach and education on that. Uh, I'll say on the, on the, uh, backside of uh, USDA uh, employee training. It's been a priority for at the state and regional level. Uh, so the staff at these places are going to be, uh, they're going to be trained up and, and going to be able to help you out and, and even get you more help from a specialist as needed. So I, I would start at a, a local conservation district, uh, USDA service center, and of course, university uh, outreach um, and county educators. Sounds great. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Colin. We are out of time. Once again, I want to thank BioTill for sponsoring this podcast. To learn more about BioTill, call 541-928-0102 today. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.